Sibling Sci-Fi Stories. Hi, and welcome to Sibling Sci-Fi Stories, where me and my little bro talk about one of our favorite pop culture genres, science fiction. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing pretty good now. How are you? Not too shabby. So today we are going to discuss the phenomena that is Stranger Things, because how can we not? And we wanted to uh, get this out here before everyone's already talking about season three. <laughs> I'm usually not one who gets into uh, TV series because I just don't really get, I'm reluctant to get invested, but I couldn't resist this one. And even after I'd say the first episode, I was just completely hooked, especially since it's the sci-fi genre, obviously. Yes. So, a summary of Stranger Things for anyone who's living under a rock nowadays would be, um, it's a Netflix original series, and a boy named Will goes missing, and they think he's dead, but really he is just in the Upside Down, which is what they call... It's um, like a mirror dimension. It is. You're right. That's the Shadow word. Realm, if you will. The Shadow Realm. And in the Upside Down, there's kind of two portrayals. One is that it's literally just a mirror image, and then the other one is more what we see when the character Eleven jumps in, and that's kind of this black area. With like a, an inch of water everywhere. Yeah, it's between the two versions. So Eleven is this little girl, and Eleven stands for the tattoo on her wrist. Yeah, she's, um, it's basically her serial number. Her serial number. So she was experimented on and she is the one that opened this gate. So the, the first season focuses on finding Will and getting Will back in a mix of his mom going crazy because she can she knows that she hears her son trying to talk to her from the other side, from the upside down, and his friends also trying to find him and them coming across Eleven and realizing how this is all connected to this conspiracy from this scientific research center that's in their town in Hawkins, Indiana. Represent. Represent Indiana. Hooters. Um, <laughs> And yes, Indiana's pretty much that boring. <laughs> With some weird shit going around just for, like right around the corner, you probably wouldn't even know it. It's yep. pretty accurate. So while the first one focuses, in my opinion, more ambiguous story of what's going on, what's happening, how do all these characters it's a fit mystery. in. Yeah. The second one is more of like a classic 80s action. So you, I think the first one, a lot of the cinematography that comes in is more of the classic sci-fi mysteries like Alien, like E.T. You know, you've got the kids, but more of the core sci-fi stuff. And then the second one, the summary, is Eleven is now with Hopper, and everyone thinks Eleven is in the Upside Down because she saved them in the first one. And a new character comes along, we get Max. We get a lot more character development in the next one, and it is basically about the upside down affecting them in a different way. Now the gate's open and Will's back, but it's still not over and they think it's over and huh, surprise it's not. Shocking. So There's an even bigger, scarier monster than the first season. The first season yep. basically centers around this one monster that they call the Demogorgon. And then the second season is essentially, hey, there's this giant shadow spirit that lives in the shadow realm. He controls a bunch of those things and that was just one of them. So yep. it's... The stakes get raised so much in the second season, so that's kind of why, I don't know, at least for me, at the end of the first season, and even at the end of the second season, I feel so, like, every time I was, like, 
what are they going to do with next? What's the next conflict going to be? How are they going to even continue the show? But then they tease at the end, and then they tease like the next season. And it's like, wow, I mean, they have so much more to develop because they keep raising the stakes. They they just had the Demogorgon at first, and then suddenly there was this much more important thing going on behind the, the scenes. And now even, you know, after the second season, it's, you know, spoiler alert, they close this gate, and the, the, the monster's still there. Mm-hmm. So they just keep kind of, like, showing you, yeah, there's a lot more to to keep developing, but it's kind of cool because I always feel myself thinking, God, what else are they going to do? And then they just answer that question right away. And I love that. Very true. And I would say the difference of the cinematography for the second one is you definitely still have some sci-fi stuff. There's obviously Ghostbuster references and things like that, but I think they focus a little bit more on 80s cinematography that's just classic in general. So I think the first one, it's so just sci-fi, sci-fi, sci-fi. And the second one, since it's more action, you get a little more Evil Dead, which is kind of sci-fi, but that's more like horror and comedy. I mean, it felt like straight out of Alien when Hopper's going through to, like, take Eleven down to close the gate. I mean, it's straight out of Alien. And the the whole scenery, the way he's holding the guns, the way he's peeking around the corners. It's, like, so classic sci-fi, like, cinematography. And I know it was probably with the addition of um, Samwise. <laughs> so funny. It took me a second, and then I realized, I'm like, oh my god, that's Samwise Gamgee. Yep. Perfect. And then, you know, the whole purpose of really him being there is since he was, you know, Goonies, man. He's he's the head honcho. OG. and The OG. And I think him being introduced into the second one was so perfect. Because I think what they've done really well is bring people in that are famous from the 80s. Obviously, Winona Ryder's huge, but besides Winona, they've done a good job of um, including characters that are famous but not, like, so cheesy. You know what I mean? Just in general, I I feel like they did... Every time they roll in a new character, it feels like you just know them right away. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of an overall reason why I think Stranger Things is such a good show, is I think it, like... They tell stories so easily with, like, kind of few words. Yeah. They're, like, between imagery they choose or, like, I don't know, a flyer or a t-shirt, something, like, to start off a scene, you get, like, such a mental picture of, okay, that's exactly what they're trying to portray, and then the dialogue just fills in those little spaces, and they use that to develop these new characters so well that, like, you just believe, oh, yeah, this is a new character, this is exactly what their role is in the show, and that's why they can roll these, like, old 80s famous people in there. It's so cool that they found such an easy way to do that. Yeah. And with with the Goonies added, and I think everyone was thinking that in season one, but it came so much more in the front of my brain in season two. And I love how so many of the characters, and I just wonder, like the Duffer brothers who, you know, head up Stranger Things, if they really think of every detail like this, or does some of it kind of fall into place? I would love to ask that question. I so think it's they think of everything. I really do too, but Just it's almost style mind-boggling. Yeah. Like, how multiple characters represent multiple people from the 80s. Like, in the second season, Steve is both the older brother in the Goonies and, oh my god, I'm blanking on a saint, the main guy in Evil Dead. Like, I'm just, right. it just, he's so many people there. It's just fascinating that they've created, they've encompassed so many, not just movies and cinematography, but actual characters and made them roll into one entire character. It's I see cool. what you mean by that, and now I kind of agree, because it's almost like they're not 
intentionally putting these people in as like these combinations of old characters, it's almost like the writers were so truly inspired by all those 80s movies that it's just like part of their, the way they're telling the story. And they almost don't even like, they do realize it, but it's almost like they're just inspired by all these films from the 80s and it's just being put in there by their subconscious. Yep. So there is a show also on Netflix called Beyond Stranger Things, which delves more into um, each character, and they actually have little groups of each of the actors come on and discuss what happened in the second season and their character development and things like that. And uh, I definitely recommend anyone who's a fan of watching that because you get more insight from the Duffer Brothers. They are on one episode. And it's just always fun to listen to what the actors think of, of their own characters. So I wanna, I kind of want to start from the end and then work our way back for hmm. season two because I think we just have to kind of start with how it ends and then we can talk about all the little pieces. Right, because like it's one of those things where since it's kind of a mystery... You have to start from what you know and, like, kind of go back and say, oh, well, this meant that, connect those things. You start with, like, the most amount of knowledge. To tell the story from the beginning, you're, like, you would miss all these nuances that come up when you realize the big picture, right? So, season two of Stranger Things ends with a 1980s classic school dance, which encompasses so many 80s movies. It's almost cliche, but it's not, because nothing in Stranger Things is. <laughs> Between Pretty in Pink and Dustin's hairdo, and even when he's trying to ask people to dance, and they're playing time after time, which is like... The classic uh, 80s dance song. Well, like, it's, it's, in every uh, 80s like prom or whatever the hell you want to call it movie ever. And even, or tender moment. <laughs> and even back to my mentioning how they bring in even more 80s cinematography than only sci-fi, the Time After Time song just set me straight back to Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, which is obviously... <laughs> See, that to me is the first place my, my mind goes as well. But it's, it's so... They, they really even go beyond the whole sci-fi theme and just kind of go for any classic 80s trope. And it's awesome because they just... They do it so well that it's cliche, but not cheesy. True. You know what I mean? And that's why I feel like it's so well done. Because you can recognize it and point it out and say, ha ha, oh my god, look at that cliche. But it doesn't feel stupid. And it doesn't feel like you're being like pandered to, like, a, oh, oh, remember this from the 80s? Like, it's just done well. It's done right. It is. And with the kisses, I know you and I watching the last episode together, we were both... Literally sitting there, anyone else feel us on this one, thinking, wow, I'm so glad I'm not in middle school anymore. Those dances were hell. Terrible. That was a terrible time. <laughs> Girls in middle school are mean. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Cry me a freaking river. But um, <laughs> the the kisses were so adorable. They felt so realistic. And Well, and I'm not one who really like cares for that kind of crap, but I'll tell you what, when Eleven and Mike kissed... Something happened in my heart, okay? <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it felt pretty good. Right? <laughs> okay. In Beyond Stranger Things, they talked about it, and, and it, it makes sense because they are young, but they were all terrified. Really? Yes. I, so I haven't seen Beyond Stranger oh. Things. We actually just, um, right before this, finished Stranger Things for me. We watched the last episode for the first time for me together, so we're kind of coming off of it fresh. So... Beyond Stranger Things is on my docket, but she has a little more knowledge of that stuff. 
Yeah, Zach and I, we were sick over a Halloween weekend, and we took that time to watch all of the first Stranger Things season and then Stranger Things 2, because that is obviously the best thing to do with your time when you're sick on Halloween weekend. But yeah, beyond Stranger Things, especially um, the actors who portray Max and Lucas were so scared. Really? To each other, yes. And I love that, though, because it made it just so much more realistic. Because right, I, it, like the nervousness was like actually there. Quick little kiss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, felt, it felt super genuine. It was so cute. It was very cute. But the most important thing about the end is that while all this romance is happening, we've got the police playing in the background. That's an artist group for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, famous 80s. I love you staying. Classic. <laughs> and we've, we've got that playing in the background, and it seems romantic. I think anyone who, even if you're a fan of the police, will admit uh, that the song... I'll be watching you... <laughs> Fucking it's, terrifying. It's creepy. Like, if a guy played that for me, I'd be like, hmm. Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Hmm. Obviously, it's hmm. lovey, but, like, hmm. pretty sure if you put it in the context that the girl doesn't want this to be happening, hmm. it makes you really upset. <laughs> so thank you, 80s, for all of your really, really creepy romance But songs. that kind but... of leads to the point that they maybe the writers, the Duffer Brothers, recognize, and, like I said, like, that they always make me, like, right at the end of the season, right when I'm like, what's going to come next? They answer it by doing the classic thing where they start rotating the screen. I mean, I literally was saying out loud to Mallory, I said, oh, what Like, what are they going to do? And then the screen starts rotating. I said, oh, it's going upside down. <laughs> like, and then what do you know? The shadow monster's still there watching. He's, He's right there. I'll be watching, watching you. you. Every move you make. Like, that was so well done. It was like... You know, we're just we're just coming off of this right now, and we're riding the high. <laughs> when we take a step back and talk about the lead up to the end, who do you think? There's so much character development in season two. I mean, obviously season one there's some because we're just getting to know them. But I'm fascinated. Like deeper. It's yeah, deeper. I'm fascinated with already in season two. Almost every character gets developed more, which is something to applaud. This isn't a small cast. Who was your favorite character, Josh? So I think my favorite character actually was technically only like alive in season one, but he obviously makes cameos in season two and to the point where he's almost in like at least half the episodes. And it's Dr. Brenner. And I know that probably is like people are like, what the hell? Why would you like that guy? But it's more so that I don't like the character himself because obviously he's like an evil, sadistic bastard. But like the presence, him as a character him as, like, a plot device, him as, like, an antagonist, every time he shows up on the screen, it's just so impactful. Like, you're like, what's going to happen next? Because that's kind of the way they write the show, is they have a little scene, and then all of a sudden, they're in another scene, and it's like, oh, that's going to be the next thing that's developing. That's how they kind of lead you through the show. And in season one, and even in season two, they would all of a sudden drop Brenner in there. They would suddenly have Brenner just be in the scene, and it, you know that was going to be either super important for the plot or, like, a very, like, action-y scene coming up. And I just loved that. So I almost liked him less as a character and more as a plot device. But just, I don't know, the whole... Everything about him just made the show for me in a little way. And he obviously has just, like, such a striking, like, appearance. So you were just like, oh, my God, what's he going to do next? What about you? He did. He saturated the screen with, like, evil. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> my favorite character is Chief Hopper. Because his character development was the most amazing. I know, ladies, 
I know Steve is a freaking badass. Everyone in the first season wanted to murder him. He was oh, like hated Steve. stereotypical douchebag boy. But now he, I mean, just everything about Steve. Just everything. But, I would marry Steve. Right? right? Everyone wants to marry Steve. <laughs> but my favorite character development was still Chief Hopper over anyone because there were so many little things you got to see. Like the... Like the making of a broken man. Literally. Like, like he's just like such a good person. He is. But I feel like the Stranger Things 1 portrayed him exactly how he should be. And he was very 80s. He was very broken man. And you kind of had insight to why, but not really. And they, you just see his 100% true colors. And I feel yeah. like in most movies, not even in the 80s, but we have the characters like that, you often don't really get to see... Well, like just the manly man characters. And then they really just like... Gave him this whole backstory. They had his relationship with Levin, which was like the cutest thing in the Ugh. freaking world. But I'm pretty sure my favorite part in this entire show so far is at the end of season two when it flashes and he opens up the Jane Hopper mm -hmm. birth certificate. Like, my God, right in the feels. Yep. <laughs> and I know definitely Eleven, his relationship with Eleven is kind of a catalyst to his character development for sure. Definitely. I don't think it would have happened without no, he needed, starting like, the season one. with her. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, it made him face things he hasn't faced about his kid being gone, about his daughter being dead. And you realize, I just, I love all the details of Stranger Things. Like he has her little, her, his little girl's blue hairband. He has it around his wrist. And like, just I didn't even things, notice that. Was, are you little serious? Things like that. Yeah. The thing on his wrist, the little head, that was his little girl's hairband. Yes. Little was he wearing like that, that like the whole time? Yeah, and I, think, I had no idea. Yeah. And I think he eventually did. He eventually give it to Eleven. Oh my god, no, I can't remember. Maybe. And it's just you rarely see characters that that and that those types of characters that developed. And, and that's such a perfect so example of how they told such a deep little element to his character with no words. Yep. That was all imagery. Yeah. Like it showed the headband, showed it on his wrist. I think he did give it to Eleven. Yeah. Like. No words were spoken, and, like, so much about this character was told. I love that. Such good storytelling. Yep. And even at the end with Mike, when Mike's yelling at him and punching him, and then he eventually just is holding him, you see then that it transcends just him and Eleven's relationship. This really is who he is, and he is now... He's, like, trying to figure out how to, like, move on. Yeah. And, like, he just he was wants... He dad, and then he wasn't He wants dad. to, like, <laughs> take care of someone. Yeah, he, yeah. like, wants to care for people. So, he's... I would say... He's probably also my favorite character if I wasn't being like facetious about thinking Dr. Renner's just too like hilarious. I love to love the bad characters. I really do. Yeah. Because I don't know, I'm not a I'm not really a touchy feely ending type of person. So like when all these kisses are happening at the end of season two, I'm like, okay, like great, they're wrapping it up, whatever. Like it just kind of annoys me. And then when it starts going upside down, I'm like, now we're talking. That's yeah. my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Romeo Steve. Back to Romeo's <laughs> as if we couldn't resist. <laughs> I can't resist. Uh, I can't resist. I would say, too, with his development, I think it was so appropriate for the 80s as well. Because in Beyond Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers mentioned that he was originally supposed to be a little bit more of an antagonist. Hmm. And that's kind of why Billy, Max's brother, got introduced. Because he, he needed became, a bad boy. Yeah. yeah. And he kind of became that. And originally, Steve was kind of thought that he would be that. And Steve's character just ended up not being that. Right. But it was so classic 80s because that always happens. It happens in the Goonies. His brother's yeah. a total, like, this is stupid. And then he ends up following them into the caves and helping. Because he cares. He's like a... Yes. 
You can just tell, and they do really, they do a really good job with that. That they show who's a good person, who's a bad person. They just make it so clear. I'd say the only time that it's like kind of up in the air is this doctor who's heading the Hawkins lab in the second season, like the one with the stress ball, and like he's, you end up finding out he's a good guy. He's the only time though that I couldn't really tell. Otherwise, you could see that Steve like had a good heart, that kind of thing. They make that so clear, yeah. and I like that. They they let like the characters shine through, not just their words. You know what I mean. That's a good point. They shine through their imagery. They shine through their actions, which is so important, I think, with movies. People too often go too much with cheesy dialogue instead of imagery. Like, show yes. me with actions that It's always that just, good, like, just the words they, say, they say as opposed to, like, okay, well, what did he do the whole time in the movie? Yeah. Like, or the show? Actions like, speak louder than words. Yeah, and it, it's so important when it comes to the way they tell these stories because, I don't know, when you just hand it out on a tray to somebody and say, this is the story, when they just use all dialogue... It can be done well, but I feel like it's just kind of like, it's so much more impactful when it's visual and like you're learning so much if you're really paying attention. Yeah. You get to do detective work. You get to do detective work. And it feels, even though they placed it there for you, it does feel more like you get to do it and it feels like you have more part in learning about them. Right. It's not just on a silver platter, just handed to you. Mm -hmm. And I do like how they kind of go from the bottom up instead of the top down. Like, they don't say, like, oh, he's a good person, but he has flaws. They show you the flaws first. Right. And then That's they show so you the good true. person. They do that all the time. They're just, like, I guess they really are just so raw with the way they portray people. Mm-hmm. They just, the first image they show of anyone is just, like, this is kind of them at their shittiest. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, like, get you to start liking them. I mean, they just, I don't know, they took kind of a... a different approach in the way they developed their characters... For every character. They just chose to, at the same time, have these classic 80s tropes. But then they also said, no, we're going to do, like, a modern storytelling. Like, something that's not so linear, so, like, classic. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And it rings true to the Duffer Brothers artistry that everything in this is done, whether it's visuals or the cinematography or the costumes or anything like that, it's so 80s and it's done so well, but it doesn't feel cheesy. I just can't even get over that artist. I mean, that's so it's, difficult. It's to so do. hard. It's amazing that they made it not feel cheesy when they are almost, not even almost, they are intentionally putting in the cheese. Yeah. Like they have it there, but then they also are like, okay, well, how can we make it have that element, but not make it just stupid and everyone's going to be like, okay, well, that's not even good. Like, Yeah. I would, I would state a case that they are... Um, I don't want to say Netflix, but I'll say television's version of Steven Spielberg. I would say that. I would 100% say bold that. Bold claims. I like it. It's bold, but I'm going to say it. It's <laughs> out there. It's officially out there. <laughs> so obviously pop culture it just permeates this entire season one and season two. I love... I think part of the reason why some of the cheese isn't too bad is because they bring in the cheesiest stuff in an acceptable way. Like Ghostbusters. Classic 80s sci-fi. I mean, just... Ghostbusters. I think they also... Dance party. They do a good job, and I think it's because of the characters. It's so It feels less cheesy when it's like the kids, mm-hmm. right? True. Like they dress the kids up like Ghostbusters. Well, that just... The context they put it in, like they're in Ghostbusters costumes for Halloween, as opposed totally to just acceptable. something just like shoehorned in there to make a reference. Mm-hmm. Such a big difference, and it makes it so much more acceptable... And believable, and it's like they're just 
in that time period. Yep. You know what I mean? It's not it's not like you're thinking, oh, it's it's current year, you know, 20, 30 years later, and you're looking back. No, you actually are just witnessing them experience that 80s pop culture in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference, right? That's true. They really do such a good job of actually setting you in that time period. I don't... It's so much more than just costumes, although the costumes are great. But... Like the fact that they, when in season one, when they're like trying to get Eleven to show her powers, they try and make her levitate a Millennium Falcon. Like, that kind of crap. It's That's that's mm -hmm. the little references. Of course they would have that lying around when mm -hmm. these kids are into that kind of thing. That's that's how they do it so well. It's perfect. It definitely helps the Duffer Brothers. That's when they grew up. And right. so they could just think, what did we have in our bedroom? And again, that's that subtle inspiration that mm -hmm. might not even be like in their full conscious mind. No, they're just like, this is what I had in my bedroom. Exactly. This is what I, like... And I think the only honestly company, and this is kind of a tangent, that I've seen ever do anything like that as well would be like Pixar. <laughs> it, and that's animated. I mean, it's so hard to do things like subtly. Live action, yeah. subtle shot. Like, they, I mean, I don't know where these guys learn how to do their shots, but like, it's just amazing. They're just so, they're so aware of everything in that shot and like the way they place it, the words that are on there. I've been so, I'm absolutely obsessed with when they um, when they would do things like Hopper's researching and they're going through the files and they would put on a picture of a newspaper for two seconds. I paused this the show literally every single time those came up and read all of them. Like, and they just like they had to write that article and they I mean they put so much effort into the detail and not everyone does that but I appreciated it because I was the guy reading all of the articles like. <laughs> Since you mentioned the article, let's take a step back from pop culture and from cinematography because I do feel like we could talk about cinematography forever and that's a lot of the stuff that's online right now anyway, is right. comparing you know, their inspirations. I know most of Stranger Things too. people focus on the pop culture references. People focus on the cinematography and comparing this character to this character or this scene to the scene in another movie. You can find that anywhere online. So I want to take a step back since you mentioned the article and get a little bit more sci-fi creepy because sci-fi doesn't just exist in the movies and on TV. Sci-fi is sometimes written works or movie works that are created based on things that are actually happening in the real world. I mean, that's, to me, and I don't know if this is verified, like I haven't talked to the Duffer Brothers, or if it's even online already, but to me, obviously just the title, Stranger Things, to me that's basically a twist on words of truth is stranger than fiction. Like, that's the whole point. And they're basing this false truth that they've created on these very real events. And if you took the time to read the articles or even kind of pick up, because they referenced it in the conversations as well, a lot of this is based on real things that happened with a project that the CIA ran called MK Ultra. And if you look it up, it's, it's I mean, one of the most insane homegrown clandestine operations that ever happened in the United States. And it's like a perfect example of truth is stranger than fiction. The things that they were doing back then, and it was basically just like in the show, they were like pushing the limits of what's possible with the human mind because they just hadn't experimented there yet. So that's what they wanted to do. That was the research the government was funding back then. And it was real and it happened. And I think a lot of this was based on a similar facility in Pennsylvania and it was originally um, going to be the title of the show with the name of that facility. I can't remember it at this time. But I just, 
to read about this and to see that it's really based on something that actually happened. There are people out there that claim that basically what happened in the show happened to them. They were mama. <laughs> they they were mama. They were they were eleven. They were Kali. And maybe they didn't get actually these powers because it doesn't seem like they did. And if they did, then we'd probably be in a lot different place post Cold War if we had mind reading powers. <laughs> but like the government was trying to find these things and the Duffer brothers basically took that seriously real CIA funded project, which was like 150 sub projects millions of dollars and they just said what if one of the experiments worked what if one of the experiments that the cia ran and in this case the department of energy because it ties into the whole all the lights and all the significance of the, the electricity in the show but what if the government did one of these experiments and it worked and it actually made some sort of mind control or mind altering psionic ability human being and that's what the real United States government was doing. And this just takes it to the point where they said, what if it worked? And that's just so cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people saw that part of the show, but it kind of got brushed under the rug because it was only really part of season one when Brenner was involved. But that's really what pulled me into the show was the fact that this was these were government contracts. These were people doing their jobs that this was they were doing. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And I think it gets lost. Again, I don't want to demean what makes us love Stranger Things, which is the cinematography and the artistry. But it's so important to take a step back and realize, wait, this all this story actually originates from real life. And facts, people, actual facts. Like, just actual wow. events. Like, honestly, the only difference, if, if you... Is upside down? <laughs> no, but I mean, that's the yeah. truth. And unfortunately, if you do the research, basically, I think in 1973, the head of the CIA ordered the destruction of all MK Ultra records, and they recovered a cache of 20,000 documents in the 2000s. That's the only reason we know what we know now. So, I mean, it's completely up in the air what actually happened. But you, we've gotten, like, a lot of testimony now from people who used to do the work, people who claim they were test subjects. And, I mean, seriously, it is... This is what was actually happening during those times, and they just basically said, let's make a show about it, but it actually worked this time. Didn't you say one of the articles kind of mentioned that Dr. Brenner was part of one of the experiments? In the, t in the realm of the TV show, yeah. yes. Most of what I've read is from blogs or internet articles or podcasts just like this. And from what it seems like, in the newspaper articles, they described that what was happening with the mother. So when, um, not Jane, Jane's mama, what, did they ever give her a name? I think it was just mama, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I bet she has a name, but I honestly don't remember it. Let's just call her Mama, shall Mama. we? But, like, what it seems like is Mama was a test subject in MK Ultra, Like, back in the old days, because it was like a 20, 30-year program that started in the 50s. It seems like she was an original subject with MK Ultra under Brenner. And so then, like, Brenner knew about the kid, and it just is this huge, like, brush of real history that they kind of dipped in the paint of, it like, facts and said, this is part of our story. It's just so amazing that they tied that in. And that they almost, to me, especially since they had all these articles, it's like they literally, like, sewed Dr. Brenner into these real stories. Like, they made him, it seems so real that this man was actually a real experimenter. And God knows this guy actually, 
you know, under a different name and a different body, really existed and did these experiments on human beings. Mm -hmm. It happened. It was funded by the government. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a detail so many people miss about Stranger Things. I think so, too. Completely. Because it just doesn't, it doesn't continue in the second season. Because they kind of, they killed, you know, Brenner's dead. They yeah. discovered what's going on. But I just think, hopefully, um, I really love the character Murray. Because he's doing all this research, and I felt like I identified with him. He's he's in this show trying to pick apart. Luckily, my research was you know actually accurate as opposed to his bullshit that he was, <laughs> he was pumping out because he had no idea what was going on. But I just felt so connected to him that he was diving into what is going on here, and then we as like kind of the people outside the story get to actually look at it from the whole whole view and see what's going on. Definitely, I think they kind of do wrap up that story at the end, so I wonder how much we'll even see the real life in Stranger Things anymore. Right, like they closed Hawkins' lab. What they does that even the lab, look like? And they even had Barb's funeral and admitted like, oh, the lab, you know, they did their cover-up story. She was. I feel like almost the government is now, like, season three will have, like, no government. Yeah. It's going to be all, like, this is my speculation, it's going to be them sneaking back into Hawkins now that it's, like, walled off. Yeah. That's what I think. I yeah. think no more government... I think maybe it'll play a small role if they, like, call them in or something like that. Yeah. But I think it's going to be like, oh, my God, the monster's still here. We have to go take care of it and break into the lab. That's that's what I think. Yeah. More more classic sci-fi in this government driven. Yeah. And I think they, I don't know, maybe they just decided that wasn't the direction they wanted to go in. But it's weird because I think they're inspiration. And if you read from them, like, they really wanted to name the show originally after the facility in Pennsylvania that they really did these experiments. So I think season one was like truly the Duffer Brothers vision, but now I think they've been able to just say, well, where does this show, like, where should it go? Mm -hmm. What is it going to make it a good show? And I respect that. Like, oh, yeah. to, you know, to come into something with a vision, that doesn't mean you have to stick with that vision for the whole time. No, they'd know? be pigeonholing themselves if they had exactly. been the facility. I mean, right. right, if it was, they'd be pigeonholing themselves completely to this is about a government conspiracy and then once you take the government down it's over like you don't have anything left to do yep. now end of season two government's out of that building it's over and there's still a controversy so they get to keep going yeah very good point well ladies and gentlemen i think with that we're going to leave you with a little bit of homework to do some research on project mk ultra and learn a little bit more about the real side of science fiction present in Stranger Things 1 and 2. Because truth is stranger than fiction. So join us next week when we cover Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, who, as we mentioned in our first podcast, is our shared favorite sci-fi author. So get prepared to be geeky. <laughs> so remember, until next week, explore the unknown and embrace the extraordinary. <laughs>